The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Welcome to Passion, a show all about love, sex, and relationships. Tonight I want to talk about sexual fetishes. I want to tell you about some of the weirder ones, some of the more common ones. We'll talk about the causes. We'll talk about treatment. Is treatment actually necessary? We can talk about a fetishistic disorder. So when is it a problem? When is it not a problem? All that and more after 10.15. But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your texts are always welcome. Connect with passion at 514-800. You know, you can always email me your questions to laurie at drlaurie.com anytime. The beginning of every show is when I answer some of your uh, some of your questions. So please feel free to, to send them along or you can text me. Tonight our text board is working at 514-800 if there's uh, anything you would like to add to even any of the questions I'm answering. If you've experienced something similar or you want to give your own advice, you're always welcome to do that because we uh, we do that as a community here. Uh, let's see. Dr. Lori, I'm upset with myself for letting myself get involved with a guy who at the moment is not interested in a relationship. I really tried keeping my distance, but I like being with him and the sex is too good. I do not know how to stay away or keep it just at the friend level. He's a kind, generous, thoughtful guy. How can I capture his heart or how do I stay away? (laughs) It's like trying to convince somebody. um, You know, oftentimes women are more guilty of this than anything, trying to change someone or thinking that the more they give, the more they can change somebody it's like being in love with somebody's potential or thinking that I could turn this person around sometimes a cigar is just a cigar in other words like if the person tells you this is where they're at and this is all they want you have to take them at their word Uh, like continuing a relationship in this vein when you are feeling more and more attached and you will not get the attachment in return is only going to be uh, hurtful for you. So I don't know how you stay away, but you could distract yourself, date other people, find available people. If depends on what you're looking for. If you are looking for a, a relationship, a more serious relationship, then that's what you put out there. That's what you seek. And you don't continue things with people who don't want the same things as you. I'm wondering if anybody listening has any advice for this person, then uh, please join in. Let us know. 514 800. I think also giving a person the space, like saying, fine, you know, we can, we, we can be just good friends that have sex, like friends with, with benefits and, um, and giving that person space rather than being too needy. Maybe they'll change their mind. Maybe it's something, maybe that person needs time to, uh, open up or to share their heart with someone else. Like, 
I don't want to give you false hope. That doesn't mean there's no hope, but at the same time, you're, if, if you're just hurting yourself along the way, then ultimately it's not, uh, that, uh, for you. Dr. Lurie, uh, have you ever seen Gary Wilson's Ted talk on porn induced erectile dysfunction? Also his website, your brain on porn. I've seen the, your brain on porn, uh, website. I've seen, uh, research done on porn induced erectile dysfunction. It's not that it's so common by the way, because if you just look at the number of viewers of pornography, per day worldwide, the majority do not have a, do not develop any kind of sexual problem because of their pornography use. But you do have a segment of the population that are far more compulsive users. I also worry more about young people who consume pornography starting at a young age and for years before they actually have a relationship and then find themselves unable to perform in real life because of what the the regular use of porn has done to their brain or to their expectations of sex or or things like that. so. Uh, there's definitely um, there's definitely some some work in in that area. But I also am very cautious because a lot of uh, um, a lot of people cherry pick some of the research, like a lot of the anti-porn stuff, if you look at the, the writings are done by far right religious groups that are anti-LGBT, they're anti-porn, they're anti a lot of things. So I, I kind of tread carefully when looking at, uh, at this information. And especially when I think of how many people actually watch porn. Like if you look at, uh, like a site like Pornhub, I think there's a hundred million visits a day or something worldwide. Those aren't, those aren't all people who develop issues, uh, sexual issues. The one thing I like about passion is your positive attitude and you're giving us hope. Bravo. Thank you. That's uh, that's very sweet of you to say. Appreciate that. All right. I want to talk to you about, um, actually, you know, this is an email that I just got. Just a few words and it's a follow-up. To say my wife's mom is fine physically, but the COVID situation is taking its toll mentally. She is usually very active, always out and about, bridge club, bowling, and other social activities, but that all stopped since last March. We made the rapid decision to have both her parents come stay with us for the month at least, and it has already seemed to give her back her get up and go. What a lovely thing you did. That's really caring and compassion for your elders in the family. Uh, We are learning how to play bridge, and they both like playing online bowling on our Wii. I am being forced to add that my wife (laughs) forced uh, that my wife thought last night's poem was funny and she loves the passion poet and saying that I will add I love you for being there for us and especially me. Many nights I listened to your show in my truck making deliveries and things were not going so well at home. You got me through it and you were right every time. One night stands out. I messaged your show with a problem with problems my wife had, it turned out it was not her so much as it was me. The comments you said was like turning on a light switch in my head. My wife at that time had no idea I listened to your show and she was not aware of passion. When I decided to give up driving and only manage my company so I did not have to lay off drivers is when we started listening together. We are both big fans. Thank you 
How sweet of you to say. Um, my doctor suggested I go on antidepressants, but I'm nervous to do so. What will they um, do to me? So uh, people often have questions about uh, drugs or they're really afraid to take any kind of drugs or or medications. But you have to think about uh, depression as, as something that happens in your brain that your your brain chemicals your neurotransmitters basically are are out of whack and the the drugs work to change the balance of these uh, chemicals namely uh, serotonin or adrenaline and norepinephrine so your doctor may prescribe these uh, these medications for you um, and suggest therapy at the same time and if you look at studies the research shows that uh, therapy with uh, antidepressants uh, are a the best, uh, the best outcome. I want to give it a little bit more time. So, uh, how are you? If I talk about this more in depth tomorrow night, so tune in at the beginning of the show tomorrow night. So I could just talk a little bit more about antidepressants, the side effects, how to go the, some of the myths around it, how to go on it, how to get off it and things like that. So I'm going to save that, um, for more detail tomorrow night. with Dr. Lori Batido on CJAD 800. Tonight we talk about sexual fetishes, the ins and outs, the common ones, the weird ones. When is it a disorder when it's not? But before we get into that, the Passion Poet course weighs in, related somewhat to this topic. Uh, when did you last have adventurous sex? Did you ever have sex in the park? Maybe there was other people around or just the two of you in the dark. Maybe you fooled around in traffic in the car and having fun. When others saw two people in your car, suddenly they see only one. Maybe sex against a window on the 28th floor of Placeville Marie. It's like having sex in public, but nobody else can see. A romantic walk along the beach. There's no one else in sight. Put a towel down on the sand and make love in the moonlight. How about sex aboard a plane at an altitude of 42,000 feet? You will be a member of the Mile High Club, but it's not easy in that seat. Maybe you think this is only for the young, but you only need to be young at heart. If you can learn to live your life with passion, it's never too late to start. (laughs) Thank you for that. I enjoyed that. Uh, Let's talk about fetishes for a bit because they're quite misunderstood. And there has been a real evolution in the last 30 years, at least the 30 years I've been practicing, um, a a large, like a big evolution, the way we look at uh, sexual fetishes, right? At one time, we would associate these desires with some kind of sexual deviancy Uh, where people would just feel really weird or have a lot of shame about them. And still, many of us are very quick to judge things we do not understand or experience ourselves. When it comes to sex, we can believe that things we don't do are weird, wrong, or even disgusting. How many times have we had messages from people when we do talk about subjects that 
maybe you know maybe strange to you maybe things that are out of your experience and then I'll get responses like that's disgusting or how could you promote or or sanction this that or the other and I think that makes me misunderstood of course because I'm just trying to give a voice to all kinds of sexual um, practices and fetishes is one thing there was a time before the internet where people who had uh, let's say uh, strange uh, let's say out of the norm interests in body parts or like non non typical right I'm not talking about breasts or genitals or things like that uh, where they felt very weird and they did have a lot of shame around that because they didn't know anybody else they thought they were the only people in the world who uh, had this particular um, interest or, or or things like this so the interesting thing is if you really ask around a lot of people have hidden um, fetishes uh, obsessions things that they are attracted to that they are simply unconventional and usually we're talking about harmless harmless sexual practices of course there may be some that are quite uh, border on the unhealthy and we can certainly talk about that when they can put you at risk for for disease or or things like that that's a whole other uh, element but having a fetish is no longer seen as something that is abnormal most people who have interests or fetishes nurture them within limits it doesn't take over their world it doesn't take over their life they it does not develop into a kind of disorder Uh, most of them I would say are not on the extreme end most fall before the extreme end of that of that uh, spectrum so um, but here here's the thing when it comes to fetishes and the strength of a fetish right let's say you are attracted to brunettes so brunettes or blondes or whatever that is your preference it's what makes you you more aroused when you see a brunette okay fine lots of people can have that or we'll take the example of you love to see a woman in beautiful high-heeled or particular types of of boots okay that's a preference it's kind it's fetishistic but it's it's a preference and it it could be very arousing but the problem is if you are unable to get aroused unless you're with a brunette then that is um, a fetish that we would look at more of a on the again I, I I hesitate to say on the disorder side but if it interferes with your life and you're not able to perform without the shoes in bed with you and your partner's not okay with that then it becomes a problem and then it will cause a distress but in and of itself does it have to be 
a uh, a problem. Texter writes in, as a gay man, I was exchanging conversation online with a guy who is attracted to my fetish of wet look, which is the appreciation of showering or swimming fully clothed, the teflection of light on the wet garments, oh, the reflection of light on the wet garments is arousing, something he expressed interest in trying. See, that's an interesting fetish that I don't think I've ever heard of, actually. He then revealed his fetish that grossed me out involving flatulence. And there is, I'll have to dig up the, the actual name for that one. We can all laugh at a good fart joke, but what he asked from me could never happen as I could not pull myself to do, uh, to do no matter how much it would please him. That was a deal breaker for us. Of all the sexual things I have seen online or talked about, this one took the cake. And yes, and I'll go through some of them, some strange ones like we've talked about some here right somebody had written in once about a newspaper fetish like they would get aroused by having rolling around in in newspapers or things like that another text writes i consider myself a fairly open guy but someone i see loves sex when she has to pee badly tells me her clitoris is more sensitive being the pleaser I am and comfortable with her, I go along. I've had girlfriends who refuse to allow me to pee in the shower with them, I guess to each their own. Well, again, the urophilia, can, uh, that's a fetish of urine, can have many forms, right? Whether you want somebody to pee on you, whether the things like that, that's probably one of the more common ones. But fetishes generally, just to un- get so we're on the same page and we get to understand this a little bit, fall into three categories. They're media fetishes, form fetishes, and animate fetishes. So in the uh, media fetish, it's developed for, it's the media means the medium of it, right? It's the material um, that you're obsessed with. So you can have a fetish about rubber or leather or latex. We've talked about this on, on our uh, kink show many, many times. Or silk, things like that. Nutrisets Opticians is now open. And uh, with the form fetish, it's the shape of the fetish that gives um, a high or that gives the arousal, like women's uh, stiletto shoes, for example, or knee-high boots or lingerie, right, which is also very very common. So imagine if, if that's the, if lingerie turns you on, that's a kind of a, of a fetish. So you can imagine how many people actually have fetishes if they started to really think of that. And then the, um, uh, the animate fetishes are body parts like, uh, like feet or, uh, even, even butts, breasts. These are all animate kinds of fetishes. It's just that some of them are so much more common and let's say in quotes, acceptable, right? You hear, oh, I'm a leg man, uh, a a boob man, uh, an ass man, whatever it is. We don't really consider the body parts that we associate with sexuality as fetishistic, but why not? Why is a foot a fetish and a butt not? Like, so generally when we talk about fetishes, it's things that we wouldn't, let's say, normally think about. And then there are other things like some people have fetishes about, about uh, uh, body piercing, um, 
some of the more common ones are voyeurism or exhibitionism. Again, done, and then the poem showed that, right? Doing, having sex in public places, not as a, um, not an exhibitionist as in a flasher, which is actually illegal, but more within the context of a relationship and enjoying having sex in the outdoors or being aroused by the thought of uh, getting caught, but again, within the context of consensual uh, sexuality. Coming up, I want to share with you some of the sexual fetishes you might have never heard of, but I'm telling you, you could find online a group, a community of these particular fetishes, and that's so different than than when I started in this field and there was no internet. Now there are groups for, you just type it in and you will find a community, whatever your fetish is. It could be the most obscure thing and you will find others who are also on the same page. A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's Passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Before we start talking a little bit more about sexual fetishes and some of the stranger ones, let's just say, or unusual ones, here's your stupid sex story of the day. Last night we talked about trouts faking orgasms. Yes, the fish. Uh, Now we're going to talk about dragonflies faking their own deaths to avoid male attention and you wonder right who does these studies who pays attention to the sexual and mating practices of bugs uh, or such animals so it appears that female dragonflies will go to extreme lengths in order to keep males at bay this happens especially after they have mated with one male of the species and need to go somewhere safe to lay their fertilized eggs According to research, some female dragonflies will simply fall from the sky when they are being hounded by frisky males and they will then lay there pretending to be dead. But why do female dragonflies go to such extremes to keep males at arm's length after they have already made it? Experts believe that there are various reasons behind this. The main reason seems to be that the number of eggs the female can lay is limited. So if they are engaged in coupling repeatedly, it could possibly cause damage to the reproductive organs. So it begins to make sense why these insects will do just about anything to avoid the sexual advances of other males after mating. Another reason is that the female dragonfly is eager to find somewhere safe where she can lay her fertilized eggs. So she plays dead. (laughs) I thought that was kind of fun. All right. You want to hear some fetishes you might've never heard of and you might, you, you can see there's online, you can find all kinds of, of lists and lists of these kinds of things. So some of them that we've actually talked about on, on the show and some that are, you know, talked about some of the more extreme ones. There are some that are extreme and not so healthy, like coprophilia. Coprophilia is arousal to feces, to poop. 
Uh, and of course, uh, poop has a lot of uh, bacteria and even just trying to find a partner who might even want to engage with you in this is going to, I would think, uh, rather uh, difficult. There is uh, something called acrotomophilia, which is arousal to amputees. There's even an arousal to the sun's rays. It's kind of weird. Uh, Actirasti, it's called. Uh, there is uh, arousal to oneself in the form of a female, which is for, for men. And we don't know why, but mostly men have these fetishes. Uh, autogynephilia is the name of that. A lot of them come from uh, Latin, um, obviously, by the words. So exhibitionism, probably one of the ones you've most of us have uh, heard about, which is arousal to displaying your sexual organs in public. There's, like I said earlier, exhibitionism where yes, it can turn you on like swingers, for example, who go to sex clubs and what have you, uh, enjoy being looked at while having sex often with their own partners. That's a form of exhibitionism. Dangerous kind or the, the kind, the unhealthy kind is when you want to expose yourself to unsuspecting uh, unsuspecting people, and that is against uh, against them. So, uh, what is it? Frotourism. Frotourism is arousal to touching a, a stranger in a crowded place. And just as a warning to people, this is actually quite common. And I remember seeing a gentleman in clinic once who was a frotor, and he would get on. Uh, busy, a busy subway often would ejaculate in his pants, would have to go back home and change. And it was really interfering in his life, like big time, uh, which is why he sought, sought out help. So <laughs> think about it when you're on a crowded place and somebody bumps up to you could be a, uh, a frotteur. That's not a really, um, welcoming thought now, is it? There is uh, people who are aroused by stone and gravel, lithophilia. We've heard of masochism as one, uh, one kind of fetish. There are people who are aroused by bees and wasps, melissophilia. Um, arousal to sucking on a person's nose, nasolingus. We've heard of cunnilingus. This is nasolingus. Lingus, so kind of weird thing. Necrophilia is one you don't hear much about. Of course, that stays super hidden. And necrophilia is arousal to uh, corpses. Again, <clears throat> a corpse, uh, not a con not a consenting person. Obviously, in order to engage in that kind of fetish, you would have to break some laws, right? or work in a, well, you'd be breaking the law anyway, because you can't, I think there's a law against defiling a corpse anyhow. Uh, so some of these are, are actually uh, illegal. Arousal to feet is called podophilia, not pedophilia. Pedophilia, again, illegal. Arousal to uh, children. Hebophilia is arousal to teenagers and, and children. So, 
you can play this game with people and give them an, a, a name and say, what do you think it is? You know, some of our, uh, uh, of our uh, sex trivia has to do with, with fetishes. Some of them are more easier to figure out than, than others. Uh, zoophilia or otherwise known as bestiality is arousal to, uh, non-humans like to animals, basically also, illegal so if you have a fetish you need to know whether it's a legal one or not a legal one and get help and, and figure out is this something that is interfering in my life which leads me to talking about uh, something called fetishistic disorder which is different than somebody who has uh, if you just say, oh yeah, I, you know, I have a foot fetish or I love feet and I love massaging feet and I love kissing feet and, and it's, it's really something I enjoy. It's something that arouses me. Um, that's fine. And it's not hurting anybody. And if you have a willing partner, all, you know, all great. But once you get to a point when it causes you distress you don't feel good about it. You feel guilt and shame and all kinds of other feelings and uh, impairments in your life. Like the guy, the froteur who would, besides the fact that it, what he was doing was to unsuspecting and non-consensual people, uh, where he couldn't get to work on time ever because his fetish would take over every morning on a crowded bus. That's uh, somebody who's clearly... Um, impaired with that, uh, with that fetish. And at that point, that's when, um, we start talking about more of, of an obsession. Uh, it's in the, um, problematic. It interferes with normal sexual functioning. It interferes with social functioning or when the arousal is impossible if you cannot get aroused without the fetish object, it falls under the category of fetishistic disorder. And the disorders come from like, you know, psychiatry, it's like in the field of psychiatry, we have a manual called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is the Bible for diagnoses of things. And that's where that falls in. So coming up, I want to talk to you about when you should worry uh, that you have a disorder. And we'll talk about some, uh, some of the causes too, some of the theories of how fetishes develop. From the pleasure and the politics to the hangups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Someone asked on the text board, what's it called if you are aroused by having sex with HIV undetectable men? So that are, these are men who have been diagnosed with HIV who are on a cocktail of medications which makes their viral load undetectable, just to be clear. I'm not sure that there is a name for that, but I would ask you, is there anything particular about this? What do you know uh, about your own attraction to um, be undetectable men? Is it your 
own compassion that leads there that make that leads to that arousal like I want to know a bit more although I cannot give you a name for that particular um, arousal I'm not sure if that exists or doesn't exist but I'll certainly look into you when I have a moment so I want to talk about the about fetishistic disorder so that's a condition where there is a, a persistent and repetitive use of or dependence on some non-living object, such as an undergarment or high-heeled shoes or some of the other things we talked about it, or a highly specific focus on a body part, non-genital, like feet, for example, uh, to reach sexual arousal and only through use of this object or focus on this body part can the individual obtain sexual gratification so basically it has to be the only it's the only way a person can uh, get aroused so this this kind of this this diagnosis because fetishes can happen in many like normally developing individuals but this kind of diagnosis is only given if a person experiences personal distress or impairment in whether it's social, occupational, or some other important area of uh, functioning as a result of the fetish. If you do not report any kind of impairment, then it, you're just considered to have a fetish not a fetishistic disorder. So there is a, a clear uh, distinction. So if you're a sexually active adult without a, a disorder um, or an adult with a specific fetish that causes no distress, even though at times you can become aroused by a particular body part or an object or you make it part of your sexual interaction with another person, that's fine if you're not fixating on it. It's the fixation on something and not being able to become sexually aroused or reach orgasm without that uh, fetishistic object or body part or what have you it, with the, in your um, sexual activity. But the key here is it, it should be causing you distress or some form of um, impairment. People often ask, like, how does this happen? Why? Why do I feel this way? I've always felt this way. I don't remember not feeling this way or not having this arousal. And it's a very, it's very hard to understand because the even the research on this is very inconclusive there is no one cause for fetishistic disorder it has yet to be conclusively established we only have theories about this based on patient reports and and things like that what we know is that typically they begin somewhere around puberty but in many cases they can develop prior to adolescence I've spoken to quite a few who remember early early like way before puberty attraction to uh, you know feet for for example so 
one theory is that fetishism develops from early childhood experiences where an object or a body part was associated with a particular a particularly powerful form of sexual arousal or gratification uh, other theorists mostly in the field of like learning how we learn things focus on later childhood and adolescence and a, a conditioning that happens that's whatever that object is is associated with masturbation and usually happens around um so there have been some animal studies and, and things like that to try and understand how uh, they develop. And so there's, in animal studies, there's something called imprinting, or if you've heard of Pavlovian, you know, Pavlov's dogs, you might have heard about that in, in psychology, sick conditioning, right, uh, that can shape the the formation of uh, fetishes. So it's basically learning from experiences that plays a role in forming some of these um, fetishes. So somehow, somehow early in childhood, there is an association with the object um, and rewarding sexual experiences attached to these objects or these actions or these body parts that may not have necessarily uh, that are, are not sexual objects that are not, you would never call them sexual, which maybe explains why different people have many different fetishes because there are many, many, many different objects in the world. Right. And if, as you saw in my list, there can be so many things that develop into, um, into a fetish. So there have been some, uh, animal studies that have looked at that. One of my colleagues, um, Jim Faust at Concordia had started working, did a lot of work, like he's a neurobiologist and did some work on, on with rats, did a lot of work with rats. And he was able to develop a fetish in a rat. It was a very cute story, but he was able to get the rat to have a leather fetish. Like he got a little coat for the rat, a little leather coat or what have you. I don't know how the whole experiment went, but um, was able to get the rat to respond to the leather with a, with arousal. And so the animal studies are, are quite, quite fascinating, but we, of course, we want to be <laughs> carry this forward with humans and find out more is attraction to a particular body type a fetish for example i cannot be aroused by hairy men who are not fairly muscular i need smooth skin and decent muscle tone in a man or i shut down this is from a female um sometimes yes but again there's a difference between i mean let's call it, yeah, we can call it a fetish. You can call it whatever you want. It's, it's not harmful. It's your preference. Some people have preferences that are stronger than others. So you might have some men who are more attracted to big breasted women and are not attracted to women with smaller breasts. That's a possibility. Uh, so yeah, there's things that, uh, 
don't look at it necessarily as a, as a fetish, although we use that term pretty loosely now. I prefer to look at it as these are our uh, preferences. It might be a little stronger for you because you cannot be aroused by a hairy man or maybe it's just hairy men just turn you off uh, and that's just, that's your, I guess, your limits or your your preferences and that's okay. Like we can all probably relate to something that turns us on more than uh, than others. Texter writes in, I think 95% of people over age 21 have some type of fetish. Conventional 1950s is long gone. Well, I just think that a lot of people now talk so much more about these kinds of things and, and talk about their preferences. And because they have access to so much information today, People don't feel so strange. They feel, oh, I'm not the only one in the world that has this. There's so many, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So I, I can talk about it. I can talk about it with other people who may be more open-minded. It's just when we talk about it in, in everyday life, mo- there may be many people who have never experienced this kind of thing and, and of course, will judge it based on their own, you know, experiences. Like I said in the beginning, sometimes what everybody else does is not normal versus compa- if we compare it to what we do, we think what we do is normal. Just to tell you, sexuality is such a varied, such a vast uh, experience for for people. It's as different for each individual as, as we are different, right? That makes us uh, come to the end of the program. Uh, thank you all for your attention. Hope you learned a little something that maybe you can share with some of your friends. I say around the water cooler, but who's around the water cooler these days? We're all home. Uh, but, you know, what have you. Uh, thank you so much to our technical producer, Nicole Proano, as well. If you want to connect with me on social media, at Dr. Lori Batito, or through my website, drlori.com, where you can find the podcasts of the past shows, where you can get in touch with me, where you can find other kinds of information as well. Coming up next year on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening. Stay safe, and remember to live your life with passion.